The Automotive News Europe podcast is brought to you by Deco, a leading global manufacturer of propulsion products and drive systems for automotive, heavy-duty, and industrial applications since 1905. We provide innovative solutions for all our customers' current and future mobility challenges. Hello and welcome to the Automotive News Europe podcast for October 28th, 2021. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at A&E. Thanks so much for joining us. Gary Brotman says his company isn't afraid of a difficult challenge. In fact, the CEO of Second Mind says the company eats complexity for lunch. How? By leveraging the power of machine learning for massive undertakings, such as building greener cars in less time. It's doing just that for Mazda, helping the Japanese automaker untangle some complicated powertrain processes so that its executives can dedicate more time to other crucial tasks. The former Qualcomm executive also has a very refreshing way of making machine learning less intimidating to auto executives. He does so by telling them it's just new software. Hello, Gary. Hey, thanks so much for being here today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. Thank you for having me. Gary, what is Second Mind's specialty and how does this skill translate within the auto sector? If I were to uh, have to make this succinct, I'd say our specialty is applying machine learning to extremely complex problems. Um, and that's industries, that's industry agnostic, but specifically in the automotive industry, the types of problems that we're solving for today are rooted in the center of the production process of vehicles, particularly around the powertrain and the complexity that car makers are having to contend with, with emissions regulations becoming more strict, consumer demands and needs expanding, and processes and approaches that have been used for a number of years or decades that are in need of optimization in order to meet time to market demands and you know, build cleaner cars in less time. We thrive on complexity. I was telling somebody earlier today that we eat complexity for lunch, and that really drives the, the approach that we take with machine learning. And machine learning is still a relatively foreign and scary word in this industry. How can it be simplified and how can you make it so that the automakers become comfortable with this? That's a great question. I, I think I've dealt with this in different flavors and different forms over the, the course of the time that I've been focused on AI machine learning. I, I try to simplify it in, a way, in this way. It's really just new software. Some of it's very difficult to understand, the, even the most... Uh, the dyed-in-the-wool deep learning experts couldn't tell you exactly what's going on inside of a neural network, for example. But at the end of the day, it's new software. And this new software is designed to make things easier, faster, more efficient. If there's patterns to be recognized in data, automating processes so that you can spend more time doing other things. That's really the ultimate goal. I, I don't talk about general intelligence and machines becoming sentient. I don't know if that'll ever happen in our lifetime. But what we have today is a new breed of software that, if applied correctly, or if the different types of techniques are applied correctly to different problems, you wind up with just being able to do things more efficiently 
and you can carve out time to focus on the things that really matter, things that are more strategic and things that are carrying you forward. Which automakers and suppliers are using your service? And maybe you could give us an anecdote about how it's working for them. The only customer that we've announced to date is Mazda, and we, we, we partnered with Mazda specifically around powertrain optimization. You know, Mazda has the most complex engine on the market, specifically an internal combustion engine, and that particular component is one that the complexity over time has increased to the point of existing processes not really being manageable or not being able to meet time-to-market demands and deal with all that complexity that, that we discussed a few minutes ago. You know, Mazda saw this, had the same vision from a technology standpoint as us. We actually aligned on a number of fronts. Um, and when we looked at having engagements or, or striking engagements with, with newer customers, it's the same thing. It's a technology alignment, philosophical alignment. Is there a, you know, is there a match with respect to the application of the technology to, to really tackle tough sustainability problems? We haven't talked about any other customers. We're actually we're, we're actually right now working with a number of tier one and tier two or having discussions with tier one and tier two uh, suppliers and OEMs. Um, and as soon as we have additional customers to announce, we'll certainly do that. It's interesting too, because oftentimes we get the impression that the Japanese might be a little bit more reluctant to make changes. They seem to be very methodical and maybe a little bit more conservative than some of the auto, other automakers. And to hear that you're working with Mazda, that, that, that's impressive to me. What was it about what you guys had and what they needed that sort of meshed together? Well, there's, there's two answers to that question. One is the Mazda-specific question, and then there's just a viewpoint that I have based on my experience dealing with the automotive industry here as well as in, at Qualcomm. Um, maybe I'll address that first. The thing that I've been mostly surprised by is the pace of technology adoption with an industry that prior to my involvement in automotive, my view was that it was a very stodgy, slow moving industry that, you know, it's very difficult. You know, you're dealing with multi-year life cycles and platforms that take a long time to get into production. And if you're a supplier, you're really betting, you know, years out. What, what impressed me was the pace of adoption around things like autonomous driving technologies and ADAS and, um, the pace of Detroit was quite brisk relative to my perception prior to being uh, somewhat embedded. This is from a Qualcomm perspective. If I fast forward to where we are today, uh, there, there, some folks in the industry probably know this, others may not, but like Mazda has been at the forefront of model-based development uh, before anybody else. Uh, in fact, our, our primary sponsor at Mazda was one of the leaders uh, in championing model-based development and saw really a match with our technology and, and not only their philosophy, but I think the, the processes and the, the way that they've looked at developing their products and vehicles. So that alignment was quite tight. Broadly speaking, the rest of Japan, I, I guess I can't really say that there's a standout here versus another region. Overall, the industry seems to have moved much more briskly to embrace new technology, autonomy being an example, but also seeing the potential across the board, whether you're dealing with um, you know, any of the case applications, connectivity and shared writing and uh, all across the, the, the span of electrification, top to bottom, I've seen a more of a willingness to embrace and change than I've seen in, under, in other industries than we've, that we've worked with.
How can machine learning help automakers meet tougher emissions rules, especially in Europe? Yeah, so I think the back to the complexity question, changing emission rules or trying to to, to fight against them I don't, I don't, is challenging. I think you don't want the planet to, to cease to support life any sooner than, than we want to. But there's also a balance between what is realistic and what's feasible in any given time frame. I think everybody wants to move as fast as possible. All of our customers are trying their best to move to through this transition to let's just say zero emissions or lower emissions by whatever means necessary. But that transition is not one that's gonna happen overnight. And throughout this transition, which right now, depending on who you talk to, it could be a decade, it could be 15 years before internal combustion engines are no longer a thing, you have opportunities to clean up what's dirty and to not just meet emissions rules, but maybe exceed them and also do so while trying to develop products vehicles that meet consumer demand or that are better designed that are essential to the way that we move goods around and the way we move as people move around. Even with the move to EV and uh, all the talk about electric vehicles, the reality is that, that it's going to take time. And that transition can be accelerated with technologies like what we bring to the table. So I guess we take a pragmatic view and a realistic view at the same time, wanting to push as fast as possible to that other side. We'll continue our conversation with Gary Brotman after this message. DACO has been a pioneer in the research, design, manufacture, and distribution of essential propulsion drive systems and aftermarket services for automotive, truck, off-highway, and industrial applications for more than 115 years. Through its expertise in transferring power quietly and efficiently, DACO has emerged as the global leader in providing system solutions for heavy-duty, hybrid, and electric vehicles. DACO designs and manufactures scalable, innovative, efficient, and reliable solutions and delivers premium quality products, namely belt starter generator systems, DACO hybrid modules, and accessory drive components such as belts, decouplers, dampers, tensioners, and more. DACO solutions are driven with a purpose to continuously improve the fuel saving, CO2 reduction, and durability of high- and light-duty OE vehicles. DACO delivers optimized NVH, noise, vibration, and harshness, and provides lifelong service with exceptional performance as the next standard in the field. DACO's world-class global distribution network services the aftermarket industry with a full offering of kits and products to meet the requirements of each local market. This is accomplished by a dedicated global team of more than 4,000 associates across 42 locations in 21 countries through continuous learning and the desire to act like owners in everything they do. DACO is making products that move the world forward, always. To learn more, visit the company's website at www.daco.com. The company was founded five years ago. Is it already profitable? And if not, what is the target when it comes to getting in the black? Well, being a private company, I can actually skirt around that question. <laughs> the real answer, though, is that we've spent the lion's share of that time in research. We've held very tight to the principle of, uh, or, or to the what's at our core, which is probabilistic modeling. But what we've, we've tried to apply that in a number of industries. We've, we've looked at finance, we've dabbled in supply chain, uh, fraud detection in online gaming. 
you, you name it, we've probably tried it in one way, shape or form. But it was really when we mapped up our technique and our technology to the problem space that Mazda brought to the table when we realized that the automotive domain, for a variety of reasons, they're data ready, philosophically ready, the technology it doesn't necessarily, you don't have to talk about one breed of ML versus another, there's a, an openness and a willingness to explore, that automotive was more ready for us and the technology mapped very well to the problem. And we saw a demonstrable impact with the technology that we bring and in, in trying to help to optimize engine ECUs as an example, like compressing the time on the bench. And that's just like one signal that at scale leads to something bigger. So from a revenue standpoint, right now, our goal is to really find market fit for the technology that we have and demonstrate that it could be quite versatile across the industry and in helping them solve their most complex problems. What skills were you able to bring to Second Mind from your time at Qualcomm? I spent half of my time at Qualcomm in wireless audio and specifically Wi-Fi audio. Prior to joining Qualcomm, most of my career had been spent in the digital audio space, MP3 compression technologies and MP3 players and digital distribution. Uh, halfway through my stint at Qualcomm, I had an opportunity to dip my big toe into the deep end of the deep learning pool. And it's something that I had never really considered was a, a career switch, domain switch, let alone um, you know, going into artificial intelligence. Um, what I really, what, what drove me was a knack to learn something new, a knack to take technology that has the potential to fundamentally change businesses, but also the way that people experience and, and the, the world around them. So that desire to learn, that desire to try new things, you know, I'm not an engineer. I come from the communication side of the house, that different types of DNA. I think that profile, my profile actually was, was, was what I think helps a company like Second Mind, a startup that where very DNA actually is results in a better product, where it results in better solutions. You're not like this homogenized view with everybody from the same ilk, whether it's a technology discipline or industry. But I think that specifically with Qualcomm, understanding that AI with all of its mystique is still new software. It's new software that requires uh, the right kind of hardware at times, but also being able to efficiently take advantage of hardware to do it well, uh, to harness the data necessary to train the machine learning models to do their work. Um, and I, I learned a ton. It, it's probably more than we can handle on this podcast, but specifically from the ML standpoint, I learned a lot at Qualcomm that I bring here, and I'm, I'm still learning how to apply it every day. Gary, do you find that your varied background comes in quite handy as you enter into this different market that you have an open mind? You don't come in with any set impressions about the world should be A, B, and C. You're okay if it's X, Y, Z. Yeah, I do. I think so. You know, going back to the, you know, if you're dyed in the wool and you see things a certain way, you may or may not be open to something different. I mean, you have various paradigms have been formed and and that's not to say that that everybody's that way i think it's just more of a tendency i'll relate it to what i dealt with in my personal life i moved to cambridge here in the uk two years ago and you really don't appreciate how much you ignore subconsciously or unconsciously ignore the things around you when you see the stuff same stuff every day 
like you don't the, the street signs or the trees or the the, the dogs in, in people's yards you come to a new environment and everything's new it's like everything's on everything's electric everything's alive and your perception is 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 heightened and your attention is heightened i think coming into this automotive space from this vantage point was the same thing like we know what we do best we know the how to apply the the machine learning that we've developed to solve for specific types of problems and problems that by definition don't necessarily have to be domain specific so we're experts in that we're not we don't profess to be experts in automotive or at least we're, we're not yet but we understand the hard problems and how to apply the technology to them but i think being able to have an open mind and approach it from things that may seem contrarian or, or slightly askew from the conventional wisdom that's okay some of the biggest companies have actually have, have, have become into existence or come into existence where the founders were not experts, like Uber is an example. But they saw an opportunity to fundamentally disrupt and change something that has been done a certain way for a very long period of time, and they did quite, they did quite well. How do you see this sector developing from the machine learning, deep learning perspective? I think the trends that we see, that everybody sees, one being the, the investment in strategic case applications and the other is the the i guess the definition would be coin vehicle 4.0 where you the car is truly a software defined entity and the compute capabilities and data processing both in the car as well as the connectivity with the rest of the environment whether it's the car beside you or it's the smart city around you that that ecosystem is ripe for optimization. It's extremely complex. And I think with advanced machine learning, like what we bring to the table, the minimization of that complexity uh, to account for potential future risks and predicting for those risks, it's going to be essential. At its core, machine learning and AI are designed to improve efficiency and you know take patterns and repeatable things and automate them so that more time and cycles can be spent on strategic things. I think that trend would just continue. Has your company been impacted by the shortage of semiconductors or have you been able to avoid that calamity? At this current stage, we, we do not have embedded software. So we don't have to rely on the ASIC shortfall uh, or the SOC shortfall. Longer term, we see lots of opportunity for in-vehicle calibration, testing, personalization, and profiling but that right now is not something that is that is impeding any progress for us. Uh, the work that we do is offline in the cloud. Gary, it's been a fascinating conversation. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Automotive News Europe podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. We reached Gary Brotman at his office in Cambridge, England. If you have an idea for a future podcast or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me at dbolduck at autonews.com. For breaking news, please visit europe.autonews.com. You can listen to this podcast and a wide range of others from the Automotive News Group on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, or on our website at europe.autonews.com. That wraps up the October 28th 
2021 episode of the Automotive News Europe podcast. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck. Thanks so much for being with us. We hope you'll stop by again soon.